0: You can support this terrorist act and hide behind anonymity. KWTO.
1: This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Welcome back to KWTO. Well, the Iowa caucus is only about five weeks away. Joining us now on the show, one of the top pollsters from around the country, Brent Buchanan of Signal Polling. Brent, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, good to be on.
1: Brent, one of the things we do every day on the show, we have a question of the day. Nobody gets the question of the day in advance, and the question of the day is different every day. Question of the day today, that's a tough one for conservatives What's something the government actually does better than the private sector? We always talk about what we want to privatize. What are one thing you're like, you know, we probably should not privatize this?
0: Wow, that is not a question I have ever been asked
1: before. <laughs> we, we, um, we try to think of stuff that, uh, that keeps everybody on their toes. Wow,
0: well, probably our special operations in the military.
1: Very Military has been a common conversation point today. I don't think anybody's ready to just start privatizing the military. All right, Brent, you've got your eyes on Iowa and New Hampshire and the early states. You've done a lot of polling in these areas. Tell us a little bit, what's your polling saying as we get closer? First of all, does Vivek Ramaswamy have a path to to, to place in any of these early states? And is this, quote-unquote, surge by Nikki Haley real, or is it donor-driven?
0: Well, uh, you know, one thing that, all of those of us who um, are political junkies, uh, either for work like me or just a political junkie by nature, um, we pay attention to a lot of what's happening within the bubble. And and what I mean by that is, you know, we consume so much more information than everybody else on the topic. So the regular voter is living their life, working to make ends meet, thinking about this some, and... Pays attention closer to the end. So, being what 48 days away from the Iowa caucuses, um, that's why things change so much. I mean, you look back to you know President Herman Cain and President Rick Santorum <laughs> and and these other great presidents of our time um, who were nowhere won Iowa and then of course tongue in cheek I say that but are not president never even won the nomination faded pretty far after. Uh, pretty close to. to I mean, I that. think
1: I think at this point in 2007, I think Hillary Clinton still had about a 20 point lead on Barack Obama,
0: at least, at least. And and so, you know, that that's one thing of just historically what happens with early states, specifically Iowa, because it is a caucus. You actually have to show up on an evening and commit several hours to the event. There is no mail in voting. There's no early voting. Uh, There's no just showing up for five minutes and turning in your ballot with one bubble on it in Iowa. And uh, it it is a commitment. So the type of person that's willing to do that is a unique type of person, which is why, you know, historically, you only have a couple hundred to a few hundred thousand people participate in these um, in a state that you would think would be able to do a whole lot more percentage wise. I mean, that's a lot less than voting a primary in Iowa. So, um, you know, that, that's one thing we're looking at. The other is that this is Trump's world and we're all living in it, uh, which is why he's been able to stay around. And, you know, depending on which poll you look at on real, real, real queer politics, uh, that he's hovering around 50 percent of the vote share in Iowa. And in the context of, you know, caucus goers or committed people, he's probably got a pretty darn committed base of folks that are going to show up hell or high water on caucus night and go through the process. So that, that's the, the bigger answer, kind of where, where we see Iowa right now. The other is, and, and you brought up a good example with Clinton in, in 07. Um, I was actually in Iowa in '07 and '08 with Mitt Romney, and I saw it on the ground um, where you saw this groundswell for Barack Obama of you know people showing up to work for him in that state, even as volunteers, caucus goers, who did not look like, act like, talk like, or think like the people who had caucused in Democrat caucuses in the past. And that's where Barack Obama won. He didn't win by getting all the old white Democrats to support him in the caucus. He won the caucus in 08 um, by creating a new set of caucus goers. And that's probably the biggest thing to look out for in this election is, you know, for Vivek Ramaswamy, and and, and, then disclosure, our firm is doing the polling and analytics for Vivek Vivek Ramaswamy, but go look at, just go on Twitter and look at who's in the crowd of his events in Iowa. Go look at the same with Nikki Haley, with Trump, with DeSantis, and the outlier is who's in the crowd of Vivek Ramaswamy's uh, events in Iowa and and to answer your third question on on Nikki Haley um you know she she is really just starting to somewhat consolidate the never trump vote which is only about a quarter of voters in Iowa and nationally so does she have a ceiling if she's trying to carve out that lane how much of that lane is there and what other lane does she go into to compete i think is the big question for her
1: you made a comment that was interesting. You said you're doing polling and analytics. Explain to our listeners what the difference between those two things are and why, what, what's the importance there.
0: Yeah, great question. So conceptually, the best way to think about the two are polling is small data for big decisions. And what that means is when you conduct a poll in Iowa, for example, you're only interviewing 600 likely Republican caucus goers. And then you're extrapolating that using statistics across the full population of, you know, two to three hundred thousand caucus goers, depending on you know, who you talk to, of what they expect caucus turn out to be. And you're using that to determine directional uh, decisions for the campaign. Who are we going to talk to? What are we going to focus on? What is our message going to be? How are we going to create our message arc, you know, that we're going to go from this issue to this issue to this issue? And, you know, how are we tracking in those in those, yeah, you know, we created a strategy. How are we tracking against that strategy? So when I say small data for big decisions, that's the sample size. Then analytics is big data for small decisions. And so when when you hear about AI and these other things, that is essentially what goes into predictive analytics, where you are scoring the likelihood of every single caucus potential caucus goer, even registered voter in the state of Iowa, as an example to uh, take a certain behavior like they would or wouldn't support a given candidate. Or out of these four candidate choices, they're most likely to support, you know, Vivek or Trump or Haley or DeSantis, whomever. Um, They care about military issues over the border. Um, And so it gives you down to the granular individual voter level likelihood of each voter on each of those scores to have a propensity or probability to believe something or care about something or take a certain action. And that predictive analytics data is used to go create a walk list. So you're not going to drive your entire campaign strategy off of those scores. You're going to say, okay, I need to knock 1500 doors. Who are the best 1500 people for me to talk to that are open to my message? And what messages do I need to use when I'm at the door with that individual?
1: One thing that we've seen really my whole life, but it's really dramatically increased over the past few election cycles is a lot of distrust of polling agencies and organizations saying, oh, they're not good, they're not accurate, they don't know what they're doing, they're they're archaic or they're a relic of a bygone area. What what What's the problem with polling today, or is there a problem with polling today?
0: Well, it depends on the pollster if there's a problem or not. But it, globally, the problem with polling is there are a lot of public pollsters out there, some that have track records like Quinnipiac and Morning Consult and others, and then plenty of actors who put out public polls Um, Because the problem is, you know, it's never been easier or less expensive to do crap polling. And the barrier to entry is not that high with the technology that exists to do it poorly. And the consequences of being wrong are incredibly low because the media will still cover what the media wants to cover. And those public polling outfits that do this for a living um, or for a quote, public service or these you know, mom and pop shops that are popping up to, to spit polls out both on the right and the left to influence the narrative as opposed to actually do work. They don't have a profit motive. So when they're wrong, there's no consequence for them being wrong. You know, a firm like ours signal uh, and you can go to our website, CYGN.AL and see some of the public polls we've released in certain states and nationally you know, when we're wrong, especially for our private clients, which is 95% of what we do as a company is private work, uh, they don't hire us again. So we have an extreme profit motive, to be correct, where the public pollsters, which is what 95% of what people see are the public polls, unless a private poll is leaked, uh, lacks the accountability and the consequence when they're not Right.
1: The other thing I think, because we are constantly inundated by polling, people will notice, oh, the polls I heard were wrong, but they can't remember which poll they read that was way off. And I know, you know, uh, Nate Silver tries to do his, his annual who's got it the most right charts every year. But by the time you get to the next cycle, you can't remember who was right, who was wrong, and who you should listen to.
0: Yeah, well, and it's a distrust in institutions, period. Um, and and I would say polling as an industry can be considered an institution. And just like government and organized religion and education, there's just been globally, and I mean that as across the world, uh, but, but definitely within the U.S., a, a continual degradation of trust in institutions, which is why I think we are where we are today as a country in our, our political malaise.
1: That's a, that's really interesting because you're right. Obviously, government by and large has never been that well-liked, but I think we're seeing this, whether it's polling or organized religion or whatever it might, corporate America, you're seeing people pull back and, and view everything in, in that sense suspiciously. And I think probably most personified by, by Trump's election in 16, drain the swamp, throw the bums out, whatever you want to call it, finally came to fruition, but I think we're also seeing it around the world now and, you know, in Argentina and all these other countries where you're seeing these people that are getting elected with basically a a total populist outsider message.
0: Well, and and they are because they're angry, they're frustrated, they're anxious, Uh, they don't know what the future holds, which is a very scary place to be. And, you know, we could say, it's chicken or an egg scenario, but we are in a place where there's this loss of trust in institutions. And we're also in the place where uh, we've got greater partisanship and, and uh, ideological separation of folks. And I mean, you think back to the fifties, like what made the fifties great? People had communities, they had neighborhoods, they took care of neighbors, they went to church, they participated in the educational environment, whether that was the elementary school or the college or the junior college, whatever it may be, and they participated in representative government, and and so, you know, when you had all those structures in place, you felt fulfilled and you knew what the future held, and now almost none of that exists.
1: One thing we've seen in the conversation about the general election coming up lately was this this You know, we see all this swing state polling that shows Biden's trailing. And I think that that polling has been viewed suspiciously by a lot of people because we've gone through a couple different election cycles where Republicans would get their hopes up. And then it it never came to fruition, whether it was the quote unquote red wave in the last cycle or or 2020. People thought, oh, we're going to have a good cycle. It crashed and burned. We've lost a ton of special elections since Jan one of this year. What's what's your sense on, is Joe Biden really, truly vulnerable next year, or are all these polls just, just sort of a mirage, and once the media advantage starts to crash on the shores of, of this uh, election cycle, we'll see it revert back to the mean and the Democrats will overachieve compared to this this, this snapshot in time?
0: Well... I- You can look back 20 years ago and and see that Republicans almost exclusively overperformed in special elections, and that was because the Republican Party base was higher educated, higher income individuals. I don't mean high income, just higher than the mean individuals. And we've seen a shift over the last couple decades where those people are now Democrats. And if you're a, I forget the exact number, but if you have a PhD, you're like 80% of those folks are Democrats. So, you know, I don't think that special elections or off year elections, and we were just involved in every election in New Jersey, most every election in uh, Virginia, Louisiana, and Mississippi, the four states that had elections, big elections this year. And, you know, we we saw a mismatch within each, depending on spending on both sides, of where voter turnout was. And so uh, I think it's becoming less predictive of what happens, especially in a presidential year, you know, where we're going to have potentially some of the highest turnout we've ever seen. Um, so, you know, it's just a different narrative than it used to be when we were growing up in politics, when we first got, you know, you and I first got interested in politics of what the the norms were because those norms have shifted and almost gone in the inverse. Um, and then as for Biden's weakness, you know, he is weak and he's weak as a person, which is why he's weak as a candidate. And, uh, but, but we can't negate the fact that Donald Trump's the likely Republican nominee for president and people are more motivated to get out and vote for him or sorry, against him than they are for Biden. So right now, what we're seeing is what are Biden's numbers for people that support him and some people that don't like Trump. But at the end of the day, elections are binary choices. Um, well, and, and hold I on, say,
1: because you yeah, had a ahead. post yesterday about RFK. So what's the RFK impact if he's if he's actually on the ballot next year?
0: Yeah, and that, that's what I was... I was uh, oh, sorry. I heard you say is, binary uh, and I jumped in. Uh, no, no, ahead. no. no. Right. And and I was going to say it's binary, even with RFK in the race, because nobody's for RFK. That's a protest vote. Nobody who votes for him believes he actually has a chance of changing the the outcome of the election. They're just going to go vote, and they can't vote for Biden. They can't vote for Trump. So what you see in most independent candidacies or third-party candidacies is a protest vote.
1: Very good. Brent Buchanan, is with Signal Polling. We really appreciate your dive into, into Iowa and Hampshire and really just generally what you think of uh, uh, voters today. Thanks for coming on so much. If anybody wants to follow along with the work that you do, how do they find your polling organization or find you on social media?
0: CYGN.AL. Um, you know, or you can go on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Um, you know, I forget the the exact name, but you can go and, and follow us at Signal C Y G N A L.
1: Very good. Again, Brent Buchanan, Signal Polling. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be right back. Coming up, Brent or Bruce, the theologian, will be breaking down the theological discussion of the day. Stick around for that.